Ladies, gentlemen, everybody, welcome to this episode of the Drum Network Podcast. I'm Senior Reporter for Tech at The Drum, Chris Sutcliffe. Over the past couple of weeks, we've been focusing even more than usual on creativity on The Drum, with our series of awards highlighting the absolute best in creativity across all aspects of the marketing world. But there is so much that we can actually talk about in terms of creativity, collaboration, and the trends that are underpinning some of the more impressive creative endeavors of the past couple of years. So to do that, I'm joined by two fantastic guests who I'm going to ask to introduce themselves now. Uh, Hi, I'm Sam Pepper. I'm creative director at Wasserman, um, which is a connections agency works across sports, music and culture for different clients and properties. Nice. Fantastic. And Ray. Hello, I'm Ray Stones and I'm creative director at Oliver, running the youth studios for Unilever and The Guardian. Phenomenal. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to, to have this conversation with us. As I mentioned in the intro, we've been really highlighting some amazing examples of creativity um, and creative works on the drum over the past couple of weeks. But one thing that keeps coming up and is consistent is the idea that creativity doesn't happen in a vacuum. And so much of it is now collaborative, both within teams, whether that's you know domestic, international, or whether it's actually creativity between a bunch of different networked agencies or even between clients and the agency themselves. So to begin with, I wondered, Sam, could you maybe take us through what you've seen in terms of trends around creative collaboration over the past couple of years? Yeah, I I think we've always been really good at at collaborating, but what's kind of evolved recently is what I like to sort of think about as like delocalized creativity. Um, And I think that that's played out through like online collaboration tools and and kind of been accelerated by COVID. Uh, But I think it's played out in a couple of different ways. One is like getting away from the desk. Um, And I think there's been an increasing way of which you can collaborate and work outside of behind the desk, taking the time to be inspired, get outside, get around new people in their homes, the thinking differently. I think, I think that's quite interesting, but the other part of that is sort of, I I suppose more of like international collaboration. So like, instead of it being localized, it's not necessarily just be about being behind a desk, but working more collaboratively and closer through online tools with, with mm. our partners across Europe and in different countries and, and, and creatives that I think allows you to create really interesting stuff that can have like a human truth, but also like localized, localized quirks. And I think it's been a real benefit to our clients and, mm. and like our colleagues for like how we work, what we do. And I actually think that the like delocalization of, of the creative process has led to like much more, interesting and different work certainly in my experience over the last couple of years yeah we we, in fact even before the pandemic slightly before it we were talking to our network members who were saying exactly the same thing that they were taking you know a a sort of general general creative idea and then allowing people to really tailor it down at the local level so it's fascinating to hear that that's almost been accelerated by the pandemic but ray you were sort of nodding along to a lot of what sam was saying particularly around that sort of remote collaboration aspect I was actually, um, I think what Sam was saying really kind of summed up what I've been feeling as well. I think previously to, uh, you know, Armageddon and the the, the, the lockdown <laughs> pandemic situation that we've all kind of survived through, everybody talked about this global network and collaborating across the network and reaching out to people. But often it was about trying to organise meetings of a disparate team scattered across time zones. 
And what actually lockdown forced everybody to do was to be able to just contact each other and everybody could just reach out and it became the new normal. So what actually happened was you could have a meeting with your global CCO, wherever he was, for five minutes and it was fine. Or you could talk to a client really, really easily. Or you could talk to a team that were in yeah America or across Europe. And you could all get together really quickly because you were all suddenly set up to do it mm. and we all had to be set up to do it and like one of the things that was really difficult i think pre um the uh, armageddon was <laughs> the nine to five kind of work working where you know as a creative you don't you don't ever switch off but you wander away from your desk in nine times out of ten that's when the kind of idea kind of comes to you but it meant that you could start earlier it meant you could finish later. It means you could take a longer lunch break, but actually you were still available if something was happening. So it enforced this kind of flexibility um, to be able to work how how your brain works instead of trying to force it into this construct of, I will only have an idea for the next half an hour between 10.30 and 11 um, and before that other meeting starts. Um, yeah. And I think a lot of that has helped... Uh, <laughs> I don't know whether it's helped actually or has freed people to be able to work more creatively and collaboratively because they can work how they need to work. You know, people talk about in, um, uh, extroverts versus um, introverts. And I think that it's been hard for extroverts. You know, you could mm. see the first time when you had a Teams meeting and they were like, hello. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think what it's actually done is it's helped introverts be able to realize what they bring to the table as well which is why we're seeing creativity from a whole new area whole new facets um i think actually the lockdown forced people to just to, to discover skills mm. and, um creativity they didn't even realize i mean it started with obviously sourdough i mean absolutely what you said there is it's kind of unlocked the potential of creativity whether that's at the individual level or it's because it's kind of un un shackled it from those very limited amounts of time which we had to think creatively before but i suspect i know the answer to this next question which is to what extent then is tech empowering creativity now in 2022 whether that is through kind of those the, the comms tools that we use to make sure that we can all collaborate remotely through to the actual creativity uh, the creative side of it actually creating assets that we can share using tools like unreal engine so sam what would you say are some of the kind of the, the big tech drivers of uh, of creative collaboration um, I think it's really, I think it's really interesting, and I was thinking a little bit more about it. And tech is evolving, and it does constantly evolve. And, and things like Unreal Engine, you know, allow us to create ultra high fidelity like environments and all the rest of it. But I don't think evolving tech is necessarily new for, mm. for creatives and, and creativity. And I, I was thinking about like, I suppose the difference would be like in how we like to think about like creatives versus creators. Mm. And how, how, as a creative and as it being our business, it's all about solving challenges, solving business challenges for, for our clients and, and the application of creativity and, and, and technology beyond a space from just creating. I think it's what tech's given us at the moment through all different platforms and tools is a, an absolute wealth of creators, right? Yeah. More than we've ever had before. And how we work with those creators, I think, is still very important. That's the role of of us and, and benefit that we, we bring our clients is to not necessarily chase the novel or chase the new, but solve the right problem for our client. We're, we've always worked with photographers 
like and then the way we would work with a photographer now is not distinct and different for me in the way we might work with someone like in the tiktok space or or in a 3d environmental mm-hmm. space it's not necessarily the person you choose to work with but how that solves the right problem I did so, and obviously, a lot. So much of that is empowered by social tech. So either you know via Twitch, which is where a lot of the creatives are hanging out in a sort of one-to-one environment with their audiences, but also, as you mentioned, you know through TikTok and everything. So presumably, social tech is really empowering creatives to think differently about communication, in as much as you know it's it's no longer limited to just kind of a broadcast model. Yes, um, I think I think the the differentiation between uh, broadcast and engagement is what makes me so excited to work in a space where we work with experiences, like experiences, be that digital, physical, and and it takes advertising from like the more traditional space where it's very mm. broadcast. You're delivering a message to like having a conversation with people, and I think these platforms, like you mentioned, like Twitch, and I think. You're, in, you're having a dance with the person that's going through it and you've just got to make sure that they un, they understand like uh, like where you're coming from. Yeah. I think it's exciting. I think you're quite tempted to get drawn into these spaces. And I think that I, for one, have had a little bit of a tick. Uh, I'm sorry, I've had a little bit of an obsession with Roblox for a while now. Yeah. Born from, born from my son. But conceptually, I just I love this approach of there being a whole wealth of different worlds to go in. But it wasn't until, you know, we recently did a pro- uh, project a campaign on Roblox with with UEFA about attracting a new younger audience to a tournament that would never normally have come across it. It wasn't until that became the right platform for that problem to talk to that the tech become really exciting. And, nice. and then we start to get in and, and then, like I say, dance the dance with, with the right audience. See, the last time I went into Roblox was for a piece for the drum, and it was a, a tour of Nightland, which is Nike's you know, universe within Roblox. And all that ended up happening was I got the absolute shit kicked out of me in every single game I played by a bunch of 10-year-olds. So uh, I don't think that article even aired because it was just me getting frustrated uh, at length at these uh, these children. Chris, but- they've got more time on their hands <laughs> to practice. You know, you're a busy man with a career. Like, don't feel bad that you've got It's this- nice of you to make excuses, but I was just <laughs> terrible. <laughs> anyway, so uh, Ray, I think that the conversation has now moved on beyond the wider conversation. Rather, has moved on beyond. You know, is it tech versus culture? And I think everyone now agrees that they are uh, multiplicative. And when you do one well, you're also doing the other one really well. So, to what extent then do you think that we are thinking about implementing tech in a different way? And how is that sort of adding a halo effect to what we do in the wider creative space? I think it goes back to the point that Sam made at the beginning of what he just said in the last question about creativity in terms of marketing and advertising is just about problem solving. You've got a client that needs to tell someone something um, while creators are actually about entertaining. And Mm. and for creators, it's a a meritocracy. You know, the the funniest, the best, the most interesting will rise to the top while brands have like spending power. Well, actually, not all brands have spending power, but they might have to do something so interesting or so unusual or so outrageous that they earn our attention. So I think brands always have to earn the attention if they can't buy it, uh, while creators are almost freer to just create, to just be interesting. Yeah. And I think that's where the tension comes between brands, marketing uh, 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 and advertising and creators. It's like, how do you make something interesting while being true to the brand, um, communicating the message the brand wants to get across uh, without feeling inauthentic, uninteresting, or just creating more wallpaper? And I think what tech has mm. enabled us to do or creatives to do is to see 
what culture's doing, what's happening in culture, like the speed of trends on TikTok. Like if we were to react in a traditional agency way, we would be what behind 70 or 80 trends. Like it would like trends move faster than the speed of a PowerPoint presentation. Um, You know, to be relevant and to be interesting, we have to be engaged within the platforms where our target audience is. We have to be talking about the things that's relevant to them. It's yeah, it's it's like Sam was saying, we're not broadcasting, no one's listening. Like we're competing <laughs> against Netflix yeah. now. We're yeah. competing, you know, it's like it's an attention economy and it has been for a while. Um, you know, and I think brands understand that. I think um, they did well. In fact, you've very neatly preempted my next question there, which is which brands, either the ones that you've either ones that you've worked with or that you see, you know, engaging with consumers across different social platforms, different tech, different live streaming platforms. Which are the brands that you think are doing this really, really well, reacting to trends as they emerge in a way that would not have been possible potentially without kind of the advent of that of that new tech? Sam, I don't know if you want to go first with that one. Um, it's a big question. I really like. I really like. It. It's a big question. Um, I really like. I really like what Wendy's did in 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 the gaming Twitch space. I think that that really connected because, um, and this is probably a little bit to your point, Ray. It didn't react to a specific trend. It created and inspired them. Like it saw behaviors that were happening in and around that space and just, and it went out and it played. And that probably sounds like a little bit punny, but like they didn't, they went and played in the space. Like literally they just went out and they were engaged in the community and played the community and understood the nuances in the humor. And it wasn't reactive and it wasn't attempting to copy a trend 10 approvals later eight months later when it's when it's passed but it, it understood the, the space in which it played and it played it perfectly there's, there's nothing quite as cringy as somebody sort of deciding that oh you know what actually what what if we start this crit- this creative campaign now around something that's happening online right this second and then 10 months down the line it comes out and you go i what is oh god it was a reference to a meme from 10 months ago that doesn't make any yeah, sense to me exactly. yeah. and i think we've seen it around the jubilee with all the brands trying to kind of get on the golden queen's carriage and like you know as the band oh, yeah yeah you see it with um um april fools as well like where all the brands are trying to compete with each other what i think is actually quite interesting though is Oh, April Fools has kind of evolved now so that people are expecting brands to do something that mm. will try and catch them out. So they're almost waiting for it. It's the kind of John Lewis Christmas effect. John Lewis and Christmas, maybe Sainsbury's as well now, are the only time where non advertising people, you know, pedestrians, will actually start saying, Oh, have you seen it? Have you seen the Christmas ad yet? Have you seen the John Lewis ad? It's the only time. And I'm like, Oh, honey. <laughs> Holy cow. Yeah. Um, like, you know, it's the only time people actually seek out advertising. Um, so I think there are I think I think that there are there are moments, but brands, they're all like you can't all get on a bandwagon. But mm. to, to to your point, Sam, as well, my favorite ever piece of uh social social content, one of my favorite pieces actually, was what KFC did on on Twitter a few years ago, where they unfollowed everybody. They didn't tell anyone about this. They unfollowed everybody apart from seven herbs and one spice girl. <laughs> right. And I they completely just forgot about that. That was good. Waited. They just waited for, for someone to discover it and then it exploded. Um you know it was the the ultimate inside private joke uh across the internet. And you know 
not all brands, I mean, not all brands have the luxury of being able to hide a private joke somewhere on the internet yeah. and then hope the community will find it. <laughs> so, I mean, that's, I suppose that what we're talking about there is the ability of tech to democratise being an audience because as you mentioned right somebody would have noticed that sooner rather than later and so you can almost rely on the sleuths of the internet who are habituated to consuming content to looking at follows to looking at who people are following to discover that so how much creativity now do you think is predicated on having access to those very tech savvy audiences who are i suppose ready and and willing and primed almost to take part in that kind of um back and forth that technically is marketing but isn't necessarily marketing as we once knew it. I don't think people mind marketing or advertising. I mean, you know, I read the study from a couple of years ago that mentioned that people that work in advertising are in the top 10 least trusted professions of all time. I think we only just about beat estate agents. Oh, wonderful. I'm not taking that personally. Yeah. <laughs> I am actually taking that very personally. But um, so I understand why people don't trust marketing and advertising because obviously we're, we're telling them a message that we want to hear and we're p- positioning ourselves in the best light possible. But I think if you are, va- uh, uh, there's a value exchange here. Mm. If you're going to be interesting or engaging or funny or unique or you're going to tell them something that they don't know or add some kind of value, then they're willing to exchange their attention for that. Um, so there has to be a value exchange. And brands that do it really well do it really well. Um, I th- yeah, I definitely think it's about value exchange. No, 100%. And actually something that you both set up a couple of talking points for just a couple of minutes down the road. But as a final question around that kind of that tech side and the creative collaboration side, I wondered, Sam, what is the thing that you're most excited about when it comes to integrating tech into the creative process? Um, I think for me, like it work, it works on both sides because, and I mean, I mean, when you set up, you talk, talked a lot about technology and democratization of creativity through these platforms but i think it exists on both sides of the fence right so if you look at unreal and you say like open source Mm. for creators more and more people to create for me what the most exciting about the applications of that is what it means to the user side Mm. i can have technological experiences with fewer and fewer barriers so like i can have rich high fidelity experiences on my browser or phone or as the world becomes increasingly um comfortable with let's call them what they are like game mechanics i've yeah, grown yeah, up like totally. playing, playing playstation games my whole life but now it's not unusual for anyone from you know early early age to later age to be collecting steps and points and levels and all of these things just become part of what how people understand digital interactions they open up the possibility for us as creatives to use the norms for people to have better and better like more engaging experiences that work both ways to to your point really like they are engaged in that because they are a part, active participant in the stories that we're telling them right I think that's that's such a fantastic idea. In fact, I got a pitch today uh, from a bunch of creators, actually really, really well-known within the uh, broadcast sphere. And they're talking about using tech now to to bring audiences into the creative part and, and really share ownership of individual characters, which is immediately have buy into that narrative. We also have buy in into that shared ownership structure, which makes them all ambassadors for the brand. So it's mm-hmm. kind of really, really interesting, if it works, approach to creative collaboration. But Ray, what are you before we move on, what are you most excited about then in terms of actually using tech to to empower creativity? I think 
I don't think we've ever been in a situation where we have this much opportunity to reach niche audiences, to actually get your message to the people that are going to be most interested in it. Like when advertising and marketing first started out, it was basically, you know, a very long copy poster with probably a half naked lady uh, uh, and it was all directed at, at men. And now we can talk to people that have like blue hair mm. and uh, a certain type of breed of dog and only like to use a certain type of phone and actually tailor a message directly to them and just talk to those people as well. So suddenly we're not broadcasting out messages. We're not doing junk mail. We're not like throwing messages out there we're not creating loads of wallpaper mm. we're talking to people about things that they're interested in things that they want to do and enabling them to have more choice when they're doing it and and for me it always comes down to the same thing find a behavior that people already want to do and then help them do it mm. and we can find them so much easier now um Although, you know, I did watch that Facebook documentary as well, and it did seem like there was a dark side of it. Uh, yeah, you, you almost find some people too easily. Yeah, it's, <laughs> there is that scary part. And there's been some pushback about that, which we could we could talk about that for yeah. an hour and of itself. But uh, I want to move on at this point, because we've spoken a lot about creativity, but you've all you've actually both brought up some aspects of creativity and I wondered if we could sort of determine which is the most important. You spoke about timeliness there and actually responding to trends. You've spoken about the ability to target. You've spoken about the ability to actually communicate now on a sort of more uh, intimate and um, conversational basis with, with audiences. So Sam, what do you think is, if there is one, a single most vital part of creating an effective piece of uh, marketing, advertising, creative in 2022? Uh, I would uh, probably say empathy. Mm. Like for me, where was your <laughs> empathy there, Sam, in stealing her answer before she even said it? <laughs> Stole your notes before. <laughs> um, no, but I, I think what's interesting, and I think it probably comes to the fore as we talk so much about technology, because I believe us as creatives, this is what we bring to the party, right? Core of any great creative is understanding how people feel, right? And then how yeah. you want them to feel and how you can make them feel that way. So we're talking about tech, but that's still the heart of the matter. And it, it always will be tech. Tech has to be human mm. to be creative. Otherwise, we're just talking production lines, robot soldiers and Roombas. That's yeah. a horrifying mental image. <laughs> but yeah, you're right. I mean, did, to what extent then do you think that that was lost almost in the conversation for a while? And is it something that the marketing industry has rediscovered over the past couple of years? Um, I think it's, it's interesting. I, I think empathy always has been been there. It's been there in the most successful successful work, and it mm. always will be in the most successful work that understands. In some of the in some of the examples that we put to the front, they understood the space, they understood the personality, and they understood the people that that played there. So, targeting as long as we can target, as long as we're like targeting for the ways that people feel, the things that they care about, and talking to them about them, like not just talking to people based on generic uh, demographics. So that I think is something that is is overlooked a lot. That the best campaigns have always done that. Um, they've always actually almost hypersurfed their users by making sure that they do speak to them on a way that is empathetic and authentic and all this kind of stuff. So it's really good to hear you sort of reaffirm that. And and Ray, you look like you were gonna follow on from what Sam was saying then. I suppose for me, empathy is about insight. Mm. And like without a really good insight, then you know 
that's where all real creativity kind of starts understanding you know what is the problem that we're solving why is this relevant um i think that's the basis of any any brilliant idea but for me tech is still a tool it's it's as sam was saying it's you know we don't want it to be a a, a rumba we want it to be something that enables and facilitates just making things better i think tech is a tool and it's a means to and and a a channel to communicate with but i don't think you can ever replace the kind of the connection where you take two existing things and put them together and make a new thing I think if they if look if if they could do that they would have done it by now and and, and replaced it. There would be much more efficient ways than having creative departments and creatives. I think, but that's the bit the inspiration bit that's based on the human insight and how people behave and the empathy. That you know when you work with a good planner or you have a great strategy that you know makes the work just sing and resonate and that all mm. the work that I see and look at and think God I should have been me has that. <laughs> has that in it um i think so again i think it's just it's exciting though when you think about the metaverse or you think about nfts and and stuff like that you just start thinking the potential of what you could do the limits are being stripped away almost on a daily and weekly basis you know i got into tiktok to try and understand it and now i find myself completely addicted to it and have to (laughs) divide myself yeah i will Uh, do the washing up and then I will get half an hour on TikTok. Like I'm, I'm parenting myself uh, uh, through it. It's um, so. it's it's a worthy endeavor. My my girlfriend, who is is also, well, she's just completely addicted to it to the point where she showed me a TikTok of what it is like to be addicted to TikTok. So she's using TikTok to explain her addiction to me, which I think is probably a warning sign that I should do something about. But yeah, but. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, so we're sort of coming towards the end of, of the discussion. Unfortunately, we could have spoken about everything for you know another hour, two hours. But I wondered one of the things that we always talk about on the drum is the need to upskill our workers within the marketing industry and to provide them with training with tools. And I wondered, I don't know which one of you wants to take this first. Is it possible to upskill in creativity? Is it something innate, or is it something that you can actually grab and really? Yes. I mean, okay. one of the things that we've started doing just with my team now is Patrick Collister, uh, ex-chairman of Ogilvy and Google and now runs the Capels. I went to one of his trainings once that told me there was only seven ideas in the world. Mm-hmm. And basically he taught me how to reverse engineer. When you look at a campaign, you reverse engineer it so you can actually see where the idea came from. Teaching people that, even teaching clients that, teaching anybody that, helps you unlock a block it helps you open up a whole new right okay how do we flip this how do we do the opposite what everybody else is doing you know and it's i i think creativity is in just sitting in a room you you're constantly learning you have to constantly creators by their very nature are really nosy curious <laughs> people they're like what's that over there what's going yeah. on over here how could this be better we're also incredibly perfectionists get very insecure so nothing ever feels like it's quite good enough like oh shit this isn't good enough my imposter syndrome speaking how can I make this just a little bit better um I could make that a little bit better it's like you know so we're like these deeply flawed people that and those flaws actually are the things that produce really great work Mm. I think um one of the training things that we do as well is helping people recognize imposter syndrome and letting it be a thing for good. Like it's never going to go away. You're always going to go, fuck, 
this is the one. Oh shit, I'm out of my depths. Oh my god, what am I doing here? Yeah, yeah. What am I doing? Um, but that's the thing that will drive you on to do better and better work. Yeah. As long as you don't let it get out of control and actually cripple your confidence. Um, yeah, that fear gives you wings to uh, yeah, to, exactly. to actually continue learning. Exactly. So I think there are soft skills that you can learn creativity in creatively that will help you and there are hard skills as well like Patrick Collister telling me it very early on in my career that actually there are only seven ideas yeah you, do it. Um, you always have to learn you're looking for people that are hungry to learn you're looking for people that want to steal from the best mm. and have to steal and get away with it that's what you you really want to do well that's really interesting I wondered you, you spoken there about soft skills and you know Sam we were talking about asset creation before which is very much a hard skill do you think that our industry is set up enough to really foster that spirit of learning to to really encourage people to take up training to to learn these kind of skills or is it something that we really need to double down on I think there's so much we can do to upskill people in creativity and that doesn't necessarily just mean creatives either i think a lot of it comes from the understanding that the idea is an important part of it and as creatives creatives we are driven by that curiosity the nosy nosiness uh, the inspiration to to seek out ideas right but it's not just the idea there's mm. a whole lot more to being a creative it's about growing them crafting them communicating them putting them like in the right spaces knowing when to not not run with them and i think that's what defines you know us later in our career as as creatives and those are the skills that we absolutely need to upskill and very much can upskill in because it's what defines us because good ideas can and do come from any of us all of us and i yeah. think that that's that's differentiation i think that's that's nice and i wish that somebody had told me taught me how to stop following a bad idea if somebody had just kind of took, like slapped me on the back of the neck and gone no terrible stop it yeah but go I on wait, wait. Sam, Sam's just touched on that it's really interesting as well because like within other um uh you know career disciplines within advertising and marketing there's clear progression right but within creative the creative space you're like you're a junior creative then you know you got five years and do about you you're middleweight to senior then suddenly you're a creative director and now you're not doing the work you're telling people how to do the work and guess yeah. what Nobody's prepared you to stop being that control freak. To stop, <laughs> like, go, okay, you're not doing that now. Yeah, it's a great idea. Just leave it. Just tell them what to do and then walk away from it. And that's like, that transition is like, how do I do this? Like, how do I manage a department? <laughs> how do I not crush their g- dreams, but tell them it's a terrible idea? How do I destroy this <laughs> brilliant idea and tell him to stop looking, to stop developing it? Please, please, if you could do that for me, I can't afford to pay, but if you could just walk behind me and just go, stop it, this is terrible. That would actually be really, really good service for me. I was going to say, well, I think you, what I think you, you, you do learn and as you go through and, and the, the, the soft skills, as you mentioned, that can help younger creatives get better is kind of linked to tech. Like mm. really, like there's mm. always development in technology. There's always another Photoshop or a Dreamweaver or a Yeah, 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 or there's endless there's things coming down the pipe. And as you learn and adapt the, the new ones as, as a creative and how they can affect the work that you do, there will become this point where there's this generational jump, right? And then mm. for the next, for the younger creative, these are all completely native tools. Mm. And then by that point, you're like, well, you're following all the rules. This is how you break them. Or like, like <laughs> that's brilliant. You can create this inside this thing, but have you thought about doing it like this, which is completely counterintuitive to someone who might have learned to live and breathe in that space, but jolts it to be interesting. I think that's when we've been in the industry long enough to become creative directors that we pass on 
like we've been talking about, that the idea that is what drives it, not the technology. Look, when I started out 150 years ago, we used to scamp up our ideas with a pen and a piece of paper, and the, you'd hand it over to the art director, and then spend ages on a piece of paper drawing it out, like, and then we would show the client on a on a on a board like that. That's the idea. There it what, is. What are, what are these words? Papi, papier. <laughs> What's this word you're using there? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the pure, uh, yeah. And now, like, talking about tech as a tool, we'll work across, I don't want to say PowerPoint because I, I, I don't really speak PowerPoint, but we'll work in Google Slides or Keynote and we'll work in a collaborative deck. The, the strategist mm. will be in there, the account handle will be in there, you'll have a designer in there, you'll have the creative team in there. I'll dip in to just, like, mess something up and delete somebody's slides and then have to send a message saying, sorry about that, but it's terrible. It's a vital it's, part of the working it's environment. terrible yeah. idea. <laughs> It's not like handing it off to anybody anymore. You can see how uh, an idea, and by an idea, I mean the whole thing from strategy right through to execution, can evolve as it goes, because you have all the different people working in there. We were working on something for International Women's Day recently, um, where the uh, Unilever wanted to talk about how um, it's not about equality, it's actually about equity. Mm. Uh, it's a very complex thing, which I will, I could wax lyrical on for, for <laughs> half, but I won't, I won't bore you now. Um, and the designer actually came up with this beautiful visual metaphor, which then shaped the whole deck and we started building everything else around that. Now, like, that's, and we were all in different parts of the, actually, we were across Europe um, and our, our client was actually in Europe as well. And we did it in real time over a course of three days and built this entire campaign that ended up going out globally. And, you know, we saw people in Africa making their own versions of stuff with the nice. client and stuff. But that would never have been able to happen even two years ago. And that's what tech as a tool has enabled creativity to, to, to come to the fore. Nice. That's so exciting. And Sam? I was just going to say, yeah, we've we've had a lot of fun with Miro, which is the closest we can get to scribbling and stucking stuff, sticking stuff on the wall. And as far as tech goes, it's it's incredibly basic. But yeah. the point also about the user it's very intuitive. It's not any more difficult than slapping a YouTube link or a picture or just writing down thoughts or half thoughts. And we find if we have several people free thinking creative, like just throwing things on the world, that has been a really good tool for collaborating, not being in the same room, but having much of the same feel was like, what do you think about this? And it being completely random and unrelated, but getting someone going. You can, you can, you can go over complicated with text sometimes as well. And sometimes it is the simpler solution, which is, you know, the best, if it's, even if it's just allowing dialogue. But I love Slack, but I have to say it has opened up a whole can of worms for me where you accidentally, you know, I, I can't do meetings in person anymore because I'm so <laughs> used to being able to do uh, almost second screen on Slack when, when the meeting's going on and then there's the sub-meeting about what's going on, that when I am in person in a meeting, I almost... So I almost want to message. I almost want to like slack my partner and say, hey, should we, should we say this? Do we want to bring this? And you can't. So it's almost like, how do I function? But yeah. the other issue that it's brought up for me is accidentally slacking the person that you're talking about. No, that's just a nightmare. <laughs> like that's that that's a is. horrifying, you know, like Mr. It's only Boom happened type. twice. But Oof. I'm still. I'm not. I still wake up sometimes a bit sweaty in the night when I. When I, I, I was going to say yeah, we should have had to put like screen sharing. Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, too many horror stories. We should have put a content advisory warning about this, or so just up to like eighteen on it because this is too scary. But 
Sam, Ray, thank you so much. We're going to have to end that there, I'm afraid. We could have spoken about it for another four hours, but I'm afraid we're going to have to call the time there. But as a very final question, I wondered if anybody wants to get in contact about anything you've mentioned or to pick your brains about, you know, your past work, future work, where's the best place for them to reach you, Sam? Um, on LinkedIn. I'll be Sam Pepper on LinkedIn. It's the easiest way to find me. Or if you want to hear a little bit more about Wasserman, you can go uh, uh, for our website, teamwise.com. Nice, fantastic. And Ray? Yeah, contact Sam if you want to get in touch with me. Uh, <laughs> no, um, I'm on LinkedIn as well. Ray Stones, R-A-E, because I'm a lady, not a man. It's not short for Raymond. Uh, Ray Stones on LinkedIn. And uh, yeah. Perfect. Well, Sam Ray, thank you so much for that. That's been a really, really fun discussion. Hopefully we'll get you back in a couple of months so we can actually talk about all the new developments that have been going on around tech and creative collaboration. But for now, thank you so much. And thank you to all the listeners as well. Please do stick around on thedrum.com where we're going to be examining creativity, its implications and its potential for, well, I suppose, the foreseeable future, because that's an evergreen topic that's never going away. But for now, thank you so much for listening and goodbye. Goodbye.